It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. There's only two people I know from Tennessee. One is Davy Crockett, and the other is my guest, Henry Cho, who will be performing at the South Point Casino this Friday and Saturday, May 13th and 14th at 7.30. For ticket information, go to southpointcasino.com, and for everything about Henry Cho, go to henrychocomedy.com and follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Henry Cho Comedy. Henry, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, Davy Crockett and Henry Cho, there's the bookends of Tennessee right there. Exactly. And a lot of people don't realize this, but Davy Crockett actually was from South Korea. So it's even more of a bookmark or a book. It is crazy. It is crazy because South Korea, South Korea, and then Tennessee is the volunteer state. They can't make you live there. (laughs) Now, Henry, your parents call me. They're still upset you aren't a doctor. Yes, I was supposed to uh, be a doctor or play the cello. <laughs> uh, now I tell jokes in bars and uh, big theaters, and I do Vegas. <laughs> I guess they settled in now, but no, they didn't really call me. I just thought I'd throw that in there. So <laughs> I, I'm sure you get these questions all the time, and there's always that stereotype of the of the South, but you evidently had a great childhood growing up in Knoxville. So when did you know you were funny growing up in Knoxville? Well, here's the crazy. I, I credit my buddy's parents because we were not the Asian family. We weren't the Korean family. We weren't this other family. We were just the Cho's. And uh, as one of my buddies says, yeah, you're the Cho's of the Knoxville Cho's. So, <laughs> yeah. And so that's what we were just a, a typical family. So I grew up just being a guy. Uh, you know, I played, I played ball. I dated the only girls around that in my school were Caucasian, so I always dated white girls. I was just a guy, and I wasn't the Asian guy. And it wasn't until right before college we went on spring break, and I used to have a real thick accent. I used to talk like this. <laughs> uh, from East Tennessee, hey, y'all, stuff I, like that. I could see you on Hee Haw. Exactly. Yeah. So in 1985, I started hosting Friday Night Videos. And on NBC, and the first video I introduced was Aerosmith with Steven Tyler. <laughs> and the guy came out of the booth, uh, Gary Considine, not the guy, the producer, late night at NBC. Don't let me downplay who this is. He goes, uh, hey, uh, I know I gave you this job, but I can't understand a word you're saying. <laughs> he goes, move your mouth and enunciate. And I'm like, all right, I'll try. He goes, no, no, no. So after... Three or four more takes, it became Steven Tyler with Aerosmith singing Walk This Way. So <laughs> I started enunciating, and my accent evolved to what it is now, which my kids love because now they sound like me and not their cousins from Alabama. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking that growing up in Knoxville, had you also been Jewish, you could have been Cho and the Chosen People. Yes, the Chosen. Yeah. What do you think? Definitely. So, <laughs> so I, you know, hey, there, I, I, Allison Diffler, she was Jewish in my high school. No one knew what that meant, but when you <laughs> certain holidays. <laughs> so, so I grew up in Knoxville, 
not I was just a guy. So we're on spring break at, at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South uh, South Carolina, and uh, these girls from Michigan thought I was mocking the way my buddies talk. <laughs> and they're going, you're so good at that. And I go, what are you talking about? They're like, I'm good at that. I go, I got no idea what you're talking about. And my buddies are going, what are you trying to say? And they're like, how he can talk like y'all and you guys. And my buddies go, that's the only way he talks. And he's like, no way. Aren't you Korean? I go, uh, yeah. And they're like, and that's how you talk. I go, it's what you get. So then it became a different thing. And then I was in college and, you know, there were maybe six Asian people at University of Tennessee when I was there. And I'd run into them at the library and they'd always approach me and say hello. And I'd just go, hey, how you doing? And they're like, then they'd say something in their native language. And I would say, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they don't. <laughs> You're Korean? I said, yeah. They go, you don't speak Korean? I go, no, they didn't offer it in my high school. So. <laughs> I took that. <laughs> it became this thing. To answer your question, how, when, that's when I first, not that I knew I was funny, but that I was different. That I, it was unique. And because if you ask my buddies, I was not the class clown. I was the smart aleck. So, four or five people would have something to say and it'd be funny. And then I'd throw out one at the end and it was the zinger. And they're always like, man, where'd that come from? I go, I don't know. Just thought of that kind of stuff. It's a great combination to be unique and funny. Yeah. You know, Jerry Seinfeld told me 35 years ago, he said, man, you have the best hook since Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rodney, Rodney goes, oh, I think you got a little better one. Yours is like real. And it's so true because with the explosion of comedy, and, and when I say the explosion of comedy, that's been going on for decades now. They always like to talk about the comedy boom, et cetera, but it's been several decades. Your approach, your background, and your style is, as you to use your word, unique. And it's hard to be unique in that cluttered of a field. Because so many comedians are doing it by the numbers, doing it by a formula, just doing regular jokes. And you talk about it in interviews I've read where especially a road comedian will talk about his problems with driving or as he gets to be a headliner, problems with flying. But your perspective is so different from all that. First of all, you're a family man now because you actually settle down and you have kids. And strange as it may seem in the world of comedy, those are your priorities rather than performing. Yeah, you know, I took I basically took 10 years off because I when I made a decision to get married and have children, that was going to be number one. I wasn't doing it out of convenience or whatever because I didn't have to do it. Uh, I could have stayed single till now, and, and but I took 10 years off, and my career was pretty much on high rise. And so when I first had kids, I was still doing it. You know, I, I, I did a movie, and we're in Vancouver for two months, and you know, Jackson Moldis was young. He was maybe three, maybe, and it just didn't work. It didn't work. So I pulled out of that, and it's not like Spielberg was calling me every day. But, <laughs> but you know, I'm one of the few comedians that had made the move into films, which is not easy to do. So, you know, by then I'd done a handful of them, and I had other opportunities. But 
uh, right after that, right after that film, I got asked to go to Australia for six weeks and do a movie. And I said, I can't do that. I'm not leaving my family for six weeks, you know, and the director wasn't real happy. He's like, you know, what kind of actor are you? And I said, well, I'm a comedian, number one. And I said, but I'm a dad and a husband. He goes, well, you know, other actors have families. What do you think? You know, and he started naming all these actors with families. And I go, yeah, they're great dads. Compared to them, I'm the greatest dad in the world. Okay. <laughs> but that's the family I wanted to experience. I, I coached my boys' baseball and basketball teams in their youth. I was probably the only comedian in history to ever do that because I was home every Saturday for probably six months out of the year. And I would do a show somewhere on Friday night and get back home and coach the game on Saturday and get back to wherever I was on Saturday night. I was doing all kinds of stuff because that's the way I wanted to do it. So to do that, I really had to check out film and television for 10 years. I told my manager, you're going to hate this, but I'm checking out for 10 years. And so I stayed kind of relevant. Craig Ferguson was great to me because he would, if I was in LA, he would let me come and tape a set after they taped the show. He would keep the audience there and say, Hey, I'm, we got a comedian after we're done. I'm going to introduce him. He's going to come out. And so I was able to stay on network TV that way. And then the other cable stuff I would do occasionally. And with Sirius XM just kind of hitting, I could stay relevant, but not like I should. So my window, my, I got two boys out of the house. So now I'm very mobile, 2019, ready to get back. You know, COVID hit, so we're kind of slowed down. But, you know, that's why I, I'm getting back in 100%. And I chose to do things my way. I moved from L.A. back to Tennessee to raise my kids. And uh, I told my kids about two months ago, Right around Christmas. Well, yeah, right after Christmas. They, they turned out great. And I told him, I said, if one of you had been in rehab, you have no idea how mad I would have been. <laughs> Especially giving all that time and attention. <laughs> right. And boys, I had it all. <laughs> now, you wait a minute. Now you're giving them guilt, which, again, if you were Jewish, that would add to that, that whole mix. So That would. That what I if I was Catholic and Jewish, I wouldn't get out of bed. But <laughs> I told I told and because every once in a while something will happen and or they'll see somebody on TV and and uh you know my wife will go, you know, he's a really good friend of your dad's. And they're like, Really? No way, Dad, you know, and I go, Yeah, he slept on my couch like for six months, stuff like that. You know, and the cool thing, so recently Adam Sandler has a animation film coming up on Netflix. And, you know, he and I go back 35 years, 1989, so 33 years. And, you know, clear out of the blue, I haven't spoken to Adam in several years. And my manager just goes, you know, I keep forgetting, you know, all these guys, Adam wants you to do a voice on his next film because he knows you're back, you're, you're back. And so it's seven lines. I did the bus driver, but, you know, that was cool that adam remembered a he remembered me b he remembered i was coming back i can do stuff now and so we did it and my you know and my wife took a screenshot of the email we got and sent just sent it to the kids and they're like wow okay okay oh yeah because it because it's adam sandler therefore you're cool now adam and, sandler they know who he is yes of course absolutely you mentioned something well earlier on we talked about 
Jerry Seinfeld talking about you being so unique. There's not that many Rodney Dangerfields, and there's not that many Henry Chos. In fact, there's only one of each. But adding to your uniqueness, so we've got the Korean background, we've got the Southern background, but you also work clean. Right. Which, and again, in this world of so-called comedy, I'll I'll say it that way, because that's a challenge, And but you're comfortable in your skin, as you've said in interviews. You make it work. And it's not just performing as you will at the South Point, but also you do corporate gigs and you're still doing it your way, which it's important in the long haul. You've committed to your wife and kids for that period of time until they're growing to a certain point, And you're not willing to do certain gigs if it's not aligned with your values. You probably have found frustration along the way, but in the end, it would seem to me you're very satisfied with how things have gone. Oh, yeah. No one's no one's happier than me. I mean, you know, there are times when I got a couple canceled flights and I'm sitting in the middle of nowhere, not to, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And I just did it some show and I'm sitting there just going, you know, I, what could have been, but I don't do that. I sit there and go, I cannot believe I still get to tell jokes for a living. That's the right attitude. Exactly. Yeah. I tell this to my audience. Uh, you know, uh, Saturday night, I had sold out packed theater and I, I do a Q&A during my show and somebody said, so how do you do all this? And I said, you don't understand. Every time I walk off stage, I go, well, I got away with another one. So that goes along with my faith. My goal has always been to be faith, family, fame. And there was no family in there. And so, trust me, fame and faith were totally flipped <laughs> in oh, the old days. In the old days, in of the- course, of course. And then you met your wife, and she is from, and correct me if I mispronounce it, but it's Arab, Alabama? Arab, Alabama. So Now, is that, the su- is that the Southern pronunciation, or is it actually Arab, Alabama? No. It is Arab because the original name of the town was Arad, but they misspelled it on the water tower. <laughs> so now it's Arab. Yeah, right. And if the, town, the town is so small that both city limit signs are on the same post. Yes. And yes. as they were painting it on the water tower, I guess the guy was dyslexic, maybe. <laughs> it says Arab. And I was just there. I I was there this past weekend. I was with my brother-in-law, and I had my GPS, and my the voice on my GPS had no idea how to say Arab <laughs> or Arad. It was hilarious. <laughs> but there's still streets there with Arad in them. So it probably was cheaper to keep it that way on the water tower and just change everything else, like the signage yeah, down below. Yeah, I think they were too lazy to climb back up there. <laughs> You say, you seem to be one of the more balanced comedians I've talked with. So I know what the answer to the question is, but I still have to ask it because you're the expert. Can you be funny without being neurotic? Yes. So half of comedians are on all the time, very neurotic. Take the other half, they're not on all the time. And then 10% of those 50 are pretty normal but still not 100% normal. Like, I'll, I'll never forget, we are doing an interview, a bunch of us, probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. 
And I said, no, I'm, I grew up normal. <laughs> and my buddy goes, let's see, your parents are divorced. Your sister's been married three times, divorced again. Your other sister's divorced. Okay. So is that normal? And I went, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I grew up like these guys. Yeah. So I wanted my family to uh, not be like that. So that's another reason I took so much time to raise my kids and why I'm committed and faithful to my wife and our marriage. Cause I didn't want that. If I was going to have a failed marriage, I would have never gotten married. There was no reason to, I was having fun. Understood. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, when I told my buddies I was getting married, they're like, dude, you're like, you're rounding third. What, <laughs> what, I anything. Who put the hold sign up? I think they're saying, go, 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 go. And I said, nah, I'm done. But that's the thing. I, it's it. You can be a comedian and not be neurotic. But we're so self-centered. We're so egotistical. Narcissist, for lack of a better word. That it's You got to harness it and know when it's not there. I mean, I got a great wife and I can't count the times. She'll have to go, hey, it's not about you. And I'm like, okay. And then, you know, if I have a bad evening, not that the show was bad, but that, you know, of travel or whatever, and I start saying anything, she goes, hey, guess what? No one clapped for me today. No one. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like she's the one keeping you grounded. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, she goes, I heard you got a standing ovation. Guess what? No one stood for me today. No. <laughs> Okay. You, know? <laughs> you mentioned about the comedians and what percentages, you know, that they're on, some of them are on 24-7, some of them are on when they're on stage, but then they're not off. But of that percentage, a certain number of them seem to be depressed when they're off stage because that oh. seems to be part of their personality and they just oh. can't see the forest through the trees. Yeah. You know, we have a very high suicide rate. So my disability insurance... I'm logged in with race car drivers. Wow. That tier because of that. Tom Wilson, brilliant comedian, very funny, clean, played Biff on Back to the Future. So Tom, we were both doing different clubs in Addison. This was years ago. And he dropped by the workshop comedy class. They asked him to speak. So he walked in and goes, hey, who wants to be a stand-up comedian? And there's like 20 people there and like four guys raised their hand. And he said, okay, and the rest of y'all just want to learn how to public speak. Okay, great. He goes, for you four that want to be comedians, I'm going to read you a list and you tell me what they have in common. He read a list of like 25 names. Well, no. And he goes, what do they have in common? And the guys were going, uh, they've all had an HBO special. They've all done the Tonight Show. They've all done Letterman. And Tom goes, nope, they all killed themselves. Now, who wants to be a stand-up comedian? He put it in a funny light, but that is the truth of it. So there is a depression. You know, John Panett, God love him, dear, dear friend, known him since 89. We did Revenge of the Nerds 3 together. Knew him before that. And we had some great riffs. His, I always try to tell him, if the best part of your day is on stage, you're going to run into trouble. And unfortunately, the last several years of his career, that was it. The only time he was alive was on stage he was he didn't know what to do with the rest of his day you know and 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 
everybody tried. Obviously, we could have tried harder, but you know, we're we got our own thing going, and we can't pay attention to everybody and all that stuff. But you know, I started playing golf. I love golf. I was an athlete in high school. Played baseball. wasn't allowed to play golf back in the day. They said they conflicted, which they don't, which I knew. But anyway, so I love golf. So because John asked me, he said, "Okay, if on stage wasn't the best part of your day, what was the best part of your day today?" And I said, "Dude, I hit a six iron like Jack Nicklaus today. That I couldn't believe how. That's what you want as a golfer." I said, "That was the best part of my day." I go, and then I told some jokes tonight. <laughs> so it sounds like, unlike you, a lot of the other comedians, when they just live for the stage, they're looking for validation on stage, and that, that makes up for the whole rest of their lives. Whereas you are satisfied with, A, being on the golf course, B, being married with kids, and C, being on stage. So again, it goes back to that balancing act of having everything in proportion. Yeah, you know, it's, and and your faith. So there's four things there. So you're all balanced based on that. You have four legs of the chair, right? Yes, and, and you have to have all four. And and trust me, I'd be stupid to claim that every second of every day I got all four going on. But the greatest thing for me is that fourth leg is there, so I don't have to build it. I don't have to attach it. It's part of me, and I love the way you use that analogy because I've never thought of it that way, and I'm just running with it. But that fourth leg is super important to stay level. So when people think of Henry Cho, I've always wanted people to go, wow, he's funny, but man, he's clean, that kind of thing. I know there's people walking around that will say, I'm not the nicest guy in the world. Well, guess what? You weren't in my shoes two hours before you grabbed me in the drugstore to stay for me to talk to you. You don't know that I was fighting some illness and I'm just trying to get back to my hotel room. You know, those kind of things. I don't have all four legs on the ground all the time. Is what no, I'm trying well, to say. Nobody does. But the, the fact that yep. you have the four legs is a major improvement over most people, especially in show business. So right. absolutely right. right. Being human, you're not going to have all four legs on the floor all the time. It's going to be tipped over here or tipped over there, that kind of thing. Right. But the fact I have the fourth leg, that makes, I'm going to, this is a great way to, for me to explain it to some of my comedian pals because they ask me how I do it, you know? Well, am I going to get a I royalty do. for giving you this uh, idea? Yes. Okay. Yes. Once I sell book and do talk shows, <laughs> the four legs of Henry Cho. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what it's going to look like, it's going to look like the old dingo ads with OJ <laughs> the three legs. I'm going to have four. <laughs> and my boots are going to be Ariat. Anyway, so, <laughs> so that's the thing, uh, and it's a rotating thing. The other thing is, you know, I've, I've, I've never been a warrior, and I've never, you know, my I, I play golf once a week with a guy who's 80 years old now, and my goal was to play golf like him at 80. If you ask me my two goals, that one's probably bigger than any business goal, but <laughs> I he always goes, Matt, you, you, he goes, I've known you for 27 years. He goes, you're the most positive person ever on the golf course, off the golf course, always optimistic. He goes, he goes, I've just, I've never seen it. He goes, you know, he goes, I've shown up here mad at something my wife said or some business thing. And it takes me a while to calm down. He goes, you hit the golf course. Just, he goes, you're the, you've never been different in 27 years showing up 
And I said, yeah, it drives my wife crazy. <laughs> but, but I don't, you know, she'll say something. I go, don't worry about it. She goes, well, we have to worry about it. I go, no, that's the exact opposite. We don't have to worry about anything. You know, it's the whole, it's the whole saying, you know, man plans and God laughs. I said, yeah, we should have free will. Right. I should not turn left into traffic. I got that. I said, but all the other stuff, I can't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, it's not up to me, really. And a secular version of that is is self-talk. So if you tell yourself something is miserable or horrible, such as say you're caught in traffic and you say to yourself, this is horrible, your nervous system reacts differently than if you just said, well, this is inconvenient. So which calms you down and which gets you stirred up? Right. Now, I will tell you, I do say idiot a lot when I'm driving. <laughs> I'll never my kids the boys Tate wasn't even born two boys and from the back seat they go hey dad who are you talking to <laughs> who's the idiot <laughs> mom said you shouldn't say idiot I go well normally I wouldn't but you see that person driving their car in front of me that's an idiot <laughs> Before, before I let you go, I have to figure out in my head the incongruity of Henry Cho and the Grand Ole Opry. Can you explain that, please? Man, yeah, wrap your head around that one. Yeah. So, so it started. Amy Grant was doing something for Minnie Pearls after she passed. One of her birthday anniversaries, maybe in the ninetieth or ninety fifth, maybe in the hundredth. I can't remember. I think I'd done the Opry before the hundredth, so it was before that. And Amy Grant and I have known each other for years, do shows together. And she said, will you come do this commemoration for Minnie, Sarah, Cannon, at the Opry? I said, sure. You know, anything you want. You know, we always do favors for each other here in this town. So I go and I'm the only comedian on the show. And it's at the Grand Old Opry. And it's kind of like a normal opera show. And so I come out and do my thing and it goes great. And Amy said, you need to do the Opry more because humor was always a part of the Opry. And it's just not for years, if not a decade, there's been no humor. Little Jimmy Dickens passed and all these things. So I said, maybe. So then I got asked to do a couple other special events at the Opry. And then a guy named Pete Fisher was the GM. And he ran into my wife at a uh, birthday party and said, give Henry my card. I want him to come do the opera more. So I just called him. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you pick a night this month. You pick a night. I said, all right. How about, I go, let me look at the schedule. So I made sure my country music pals were on so I wouldn't feel like I didn't know anybody. And it went great. He said, hey, come back next month. So I started going when my friends were there. And then finally, my buddy... You know, I, I I know I keep name dropping and I'm sorry. No, that's Paul, fine. That's fine. You know, Paul McCartney told me not to be a name dropper. <laughs> he I told me this. He told me the same thing a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. I got to change that to Snoop Dogg. <laughs> anyway. So my buddy Ben Scales said, hey, man, you don't need me to do the opry. Just do it. So then I started doing it on Tuesday nights and I was doing it four times a month and all this stuff. So lo and behold, 10 years later, I've been on the stage over 100 times. 
And I know people, I get, we get social media. I don't get it personally, but I get told, Hey, you know, you do the same joke so much on the Opry. I said, what people don't understand is the Opry, the demographics very narrow. So I've tried to go way outside the lane like I would in my own show, but you know, a very small percentage of the 4,500 people actually bought tickets because I'm there. <laughs> you know, I think Carrie Underwood had a little more pull than I did. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, so I know the audience and I know what works. Plus, I only have eight minutes. Sometimes I have 13. Sometimes I have six. I mean, that's why they love me. It's live radio. So when it's my time, they'll go, Henry, we're way behind. I need six minutes and 30 seconds. Fine. And I nail it every time. Hey, we're running short. Can you stretch? Can you do 22? Sure. I've done 22 before, which is a long time out there for the Opry. And so that's why it works. And plus, you know, the staff's great. The band. I've known each other, everybody for so long. Every time I walk in, I know everybody. It's like family. I know the security guard. You know, Greg's out there when I pull in. But that's how it started initially. It was just Minnie Pearl, comedian. I was the only guy they thought of could even do the Opry, maybe. Pretty impressive. And it worked. Well, I have one job when I'm there, and that's to kill it. So that's why I can't try stuff. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Makes sense. Well, thank you for explaining that, because I always wondered about that one. So. That's a great way to end it. My guest has been Henry Cho. He'll be performing at the South Point Casino this Friday and Saturday, May 13th and 14th at 7.30. For ticket information, go to southpointcasino.com. And for everything about Henry Cho, go to henrychocomedy.com and follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Henry Cho Comedy. Henry, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me so much. Great fun. Same here. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah, baby.